Welcome to the Prophecy Club. We're going to talk about world government today because I believe, and I think you understand, that we're right around the corner from having a world government. Now, that means I'm going to teach Bible prophecy. And that means that you probably think that you've got your opinion and you probably heard someone someplace out there teach you Bible prophecy and they gave you their opinion. And so you may be saying, well, why should I listen to you? So, in an effort to get you to listen to me, because I think that this is what God wants me to teach. As a matter of fact, I was preparing a radio program in an entirely different direction, entirely different topic, and all of a sudden I started yawning. And I yawned, and I so, all right, finally, there I just got the anointing, just confirming that I'm doing the right thing. So uh, finally, I just stopped. I said, Lord, okay, fine. What do you want the radio program to be on today? And this is what he laid on my heart he wants me to do. Matter of fact, what he said, it is time to start teaching Bible prophecy. It's time to start letting my people know what is really going on. Now, I understand it may not be as exciting as hearing about the arrests and things like that. But if you want to be informed about what's really going on, this is the topic that you need to be interested in. We're going to get right to the point, and I'm going to tie it right to daily things that are going on right now. And so who am I to be teaching prophecy? Well, I've been studying it 40 years, teaching it 30 years, made 37 DVDs on it, wrote a book on it. More than probably that, I've memorized the verses that I bring it to you. I'm not saying I've memorized all of Daniel like I have Revelation, but I have memorized these verses. Now, I probably couldn't quote them right off the top of my head right now. I don't have them down as well as I do Revelation, but nevertheless, I've memorized them. And as that process of memorizing comes along, he begins to show me deeper and more. Well, you know, the Bible says, God revealeth the deep and secret things. He showeth what is in the darkness and light dwelleth with him. So that's what I pray, that God will show me the deep and secret thing. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 31. Thou, O king, now this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and that's important too, sawest and behold a great image. This image, this by the way, this image represents four world governments. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form there was terrible. Now that word terrible really is important to know and understand, meaning that this world government that's coming is going to be the worst time that mankind has ever seen. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. It's showing four world governments, meaning the first one, well, here, we'll get to that. Okay, Uh, let's go on. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, and the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. That's the destruction of the last world government, the world government that's about to raise its head here probably in the next few years. That's when Jesus returns to destroy the final world government. The whole point of this is to tell us when Jesus returns. So if you want to know when Jesus returns, this is it. This is the words right out of the Bible. And the whole point is to tell you really the season that he's coming. So, uh, broke the pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, and there was no place found for them. Meaning that when Jesus returns, he not only destroys the fourth world government, but all those people whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life are all burned to a crisp. 
body, and soul. They literally fall to the ground in a pile of ashes and bones. He does not allow any of them to live beyond that. We'll get to that. That is except the nation, but I'll explain that. No place was found for them, and the stone, that's Jesus, that smote the image, that means the four world governments, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What's he talking about? What does this mean, Jesus becomes a great mountain? Well, you got to understand that one of the very last events associated with the seventh trumpet, the seventh seal, the seventh vial, the very, very end, is when every island flee away and the mountains were not found. That's when every high place falls, the low places fill in, the rough places are made smooth, the crooked places are made straight, meaning the entire earth, when Jesus returns, he arises to shake the earth terribly. The entire earth is shaken so hard, every mountain falls, every valley fills in, and the sea is no more, except there is one mountain and only one mountain on the earth. And on top of that mountain is the golden city, pure gold, so pure it's clear as glass. One place it says transparent as glass. And then Jesus literally is the light of the world. He is in the center of that golden city. And he is so bright that that golden city acts like a lighthouse. And that light shines around the earth because in the fourth vial, the sun Get seven times hotter, the kingdom of the beast get is darkness, meaning that the sun novas. It goes seven times hotter, and then it just goes out. Because in the millennium, in all eternity, not just the millennium, but all eternity, Jesus literally is the light of the world. He is the lighthouse, and he is in the city that sits on the hill. Remember the parable where it says, don't put your light under a bushel? Well, that's what he's talking about. He is literally the golden city, the light from the golden city that shines around the earth. There is no more darkness. There is no more day or night. There is no more summer or winter. It's eternity in constant light. And Jesus literally is the light and the power of the world. Now, let's go back to the prophecy. I told you. I told you. I'm probably going to teach this different than you've ever heard because this is my life, brothers and sisters. This is what I are. Okay, so let's go to verse 36. So here comes the interpretation. This is the dream. And now we tell you the interpretation there before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. Now, those words are really important because who is the king of kings? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not Jesus. Because right now, Revelation says that Jesus is the prince of the kings of the earth. What's the difference between a prince and a king? A prince is someone in line to be the king, but he's not the king yet. So right now, Jesus, surprise, surprise, is not the king of kings and lord of lords. Right now, he is the lamb of God. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. Well, when does he become the king of kings and lord of lords? Well, if you get my book, I explain that to you. I explain to you that at the marriage supper, that's when he comes near before the father, the ancient of days. That's Daniel 2, 44. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's when he is crowned king of kings and lord of lords. He's given a vesture dipped in his own blood, and it has on his thigh and on his vesture a name written, king of kings and lord of lords. That's when he returns for Armageddon. The marriage supper takes place on Pentecost. Again, that's all in my book. I explain all that to you. I promise. You do not know what is in my book. Well, I mean, at least I've been teaching prophecy 
30, well, for, studying 40 years, teaching you 30 years, and I didn't know anything that is in my book. It was all new information, so I think it's probably pretty fair to say you probably don't know it either. In other words, if a guy that makes his living for the last 25 years teaching prophecy, if I didn't know it, chances are you don't know it either. Anyway, so anyway, let's get back to this. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. Now, that right there is really important because what that's really saying is telling us who the Antichrist is. See, the Antichrist doesn't mean against Christ. Antichrist means in the place of Christ. He doesn't want to be Christ. He wants to be in the place of Christ. What his ultimate goal is, is to sit on the golden chair, the golden throne, the Ark of the Covenant, and proclaim himself God, and he wants to receive the worship that God gets for free, only he will be willing and does require it. So when he says, thou art this the king of kings, what he's saying is you're going to be the Antichrist. Yeah, I bet you never heard that before either, and you're about to hear a whole lot of things you never heard before, because God has shown me and helped me. To, matter of fact, in a prophecy, it was prophesied that God is going to unseal Daniel to me. Now, he hadn't yet. I don't believe anybody on the face of the earth has had Daniel unsealed to them yet, but I believe he's told me that he's going to unseal Daniel to me, and praise the Lord, my heart is just to tell people the truth. Anyway, let's go on. So, O king, thou art a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Those are big words, too, because God does not give a kingdom to someone very often much less power and strength and glory. He's saying that this is the greatest world government that ever will be in the history of the world. This one is the fine gold, so it is the richest. Let's go on. Now, of course, you know, we want to think that America is the richest nation that's ever lived, and to a certain degree, of course, we are. But in terms of God's eyes, he's saying that he's the king of kings. He's the head of gold. All right, let's go on. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given unto thine hand. He's saying, you are a world government. And hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Now, we're going to skip who those are. We don't care at this point. I know you don't want all the details, so I'm going to just get to the point here. Now, here comes what's about to happen in our world. Probably, please, I'm not trying to set a date. I'm just trying to say it's not 100 years off, okay? Probably in the next two, three, four years, somewhere in that ballpark, you're about to see a world government rise up primarily out of the EU. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. Well, to see, the, the Roman Empire was the Iron Empire. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Means, probably this is the opening of the first and second seal. You remember Jesus, in Revelation 6, 1, it says, And I saw when he opened the first seal, and heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. And one of the beasts said, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and here it is, here it is, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This probably is a world war starting right here when he says, and this fourth world government, meaning the world government, breaks in pieces 
and stamps the residue, all of the other world governments, all the other governments. Revelation another place says, and they shall give their power and strength unto the beast, so that the words of God can be, or actually until the words of God should be fulfilled. So they actually give their military, give their wealth, give their nuclear weapons to the beast. Can you believe that? They give him the whole kingdom. They give him the keys to the kingdom. All right, let's go on. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. EU, over the last 10, 15 years, has opened their borders, thanks to George Soros and other devils like him. And they've allowed people from other nations, mostly Muslims, carrying their uh, Quran, mostly Muslims, to come in. Now, it's saying that they don't work well together. And, of course, we just saw, what was it, uh, New Zealand just get all shot up? Okay, in other words, the Muslims don't fit well. And I can go back into Genesis, I believe it's 28, and it says of Ishmael that he is to be a wild man. Every man's hand is against his brother. Muslims, specifically, and Arabs in general, don't get along. If they're not killing each other, they're killing you. Killing is what they do. Like, when, when we were kids, we used to love to wear little chains around our neck. We still like some of us to wear chains around our neck. But in, in Muslim countries, what they hang around their neck is not a chain. Instead, it's a strap. And at the end of that strap is an AK-47. I mean, even a kid like 6, 8, 10, 12 years old, they're walking around with an AK-47 around their, their neck. I mean, killing and war is what they do. And I might say that's pretty much all they do. Now, there's a few exceptions. I mean, you know, Qatar and places like Dubai. I mean, there's there's some exceptions. But I'm talking in general. In other words, I'm talking about the heart that they have been given. So when it says, you saw the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom should be divided. Yeah, they're divided. Okay, Muslims don't fit into the Western Gentile world, and they don't have peace wherever they are. Shall be divided. But there shall be in it the strength of iron, means the EU people will still be strong. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, I believe the clay represents the Muslims. And as the toes and of the feet part of iron and part of clay, means part of EU, part of the Western Gentiles, and part of the Muslims, part of the old Roman Empire, and part of the new Muslim Caliphate, because the Caliphate ain't dead, I know that... Trumpet right now is saying, oh, the caliphate and ISIS is defeated. Uh, it's not what the Bible says. Nope, not so. The nations of the EU have actually allowed them to immigrate in and that. In other words, how are you going to kill the Muslims? They're living right next to you. I mean, that's another thing. That if you go back to Genesis 28, that's another thing that they would live among their brethren. The Muslims don't gather over here in a separate place whether it's a separate neighborhood, they don't gather in a separate city, they don't want their own separate nation, just like you go to Israel, where do they live? They don't say, oh, well, this is where the Muslims live. Uh, uh, no, 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 they want to live right next to you. And, I mean, and they throw their trash right out the window and it blows over on your lawn. They are a constant problem around the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some good Muslims. I play racquetball with a wonderful guy. I love him to pieces. A great guy, and he's a Muslim. So there, there's always exceptions to the rule. Please understand, I'm not trying to beat up on the Muslims. I think they've got the wrong God, but that's their mistake. I'm doing my best to try to convince them that our God is the correct God. Okay, we got to get through this. Let's move on. 
Sauce the iron mixed with miry clay. Oh, listen, this is it. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So the simple way to explain that is it's confirming that they don't work well together. But when it says they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, I believe that that is a subtle reference to the, these UFO guys come down once again, Genesis 6, all over again, and they literally mingle themselves with the seed of people on earth. And then you got the, the hybrids, the half alien, half human, and that's a topic for another day. There's a lot more experts out there on that than I am, so I'll leave it to them. Let's keep going. However, this next verse is a really, really, really important one. And in the days of these kings, what's that saying? It's saying when you see a world government, when you see a world government that doesn't work well with the Muslims inside of it, and it's mostly EU with Muslims spread all over it, okay? When, I, when you see that, when you see that world government rise up, he's saying, and in the days of these kings, when you see a world government, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these things and kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now, what I just said is really important. It's going to take me a second to explain that. You see, in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded that they were not to harvest the corners of the field, meaning that they were supposed to leave some of the harvest to the poor and the fatherless and the widows and stuff like that. They were commanded not to harvest the field. They were to leave some of it. Well, in the last days, there is the same thing happening as far as the harvest, the final harvest, in that Jesus doesn't harvest all of them either. In other words, there's a group of people that did not receive the mark of the beast, but they didn't accept Jesus either. They are the nations. They are the ones that are not harvested. They make it to the end, but they do not accept Jesus. So, since they didn't accept Jesus, they don't get a glorified body. They don't get their name in the book of life. But they didn't take the mark of the beast either. So the nations, according to Revelation, are allowed to live up to 1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan should be loosed out of his prison. He goes out to the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea, and they went upon the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about, and fire from God out of heaven came down and devoured them. That's at the end of the 1,000 years. That's when Jesus uses the morning star from heaven, basically, to destroy the remaining nations. Now, what happens to the ones? Well, you see, they are ruled over it with a rod of iron. Revelation 3 says, And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works to the end, the same will I give power over the nations. That's these, these people, the nations. And they shall rule them with a rod of iron. Now, hang on. What does that mean? That means that during the millennium, if one of these nations, they're told that they're allowed to live up to a thousand years. But if they break one of Jesus' laws, then a morning star judge shows up, which I'll explain in a minute, in the speed of thought, and he hits them with the morning star, they fall to the ground uh, in a pile of ashes and bones, destroying both body and soul. That is immediate and terminal judgment. Now, let me go back to the verse. 
He that overcometh and keepeth my works to the end, the same will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of the potter, they shall be broken to shivers. That means ashes. Even as I received my father, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star is fire or light that comes out of the mouth, and it destroys both body and soul. As you recall, in the two witnesses in the millennium, and he says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks, standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So the morning star is a fire that comes out of the mouth of the two witnesses. And also, some people will get that morning star. Because Daniel 12 says, And they that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. Then we see another example of the morning star. Again, I cover all this in my book. It's too complicated, and you're not going to get it just hearing me right now. You, 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 you got to look at it. <laughs> you got to read it. You got to study. Okay, so anyway, here's the other example. So at the very end, this is when Jesus is returning for Armageddon to defeat the enemies, which is what we're talking about. This is where they become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. Why? Because they are ashes. Why? Because Jesus returns and hits them with the morning star. Okay, so this is the example. Revelation 19 says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, which wrought miracles before them, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had had worshipped his image. And these both were cast into the lake, burning with fire and brimstone. And the remnant, here it is, here it is, and the remnant, meaning those people that are left after the beast and false prophet are removed. And the remnant shall be slain with the sword of him that sitteth upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's the morning star. So when it says, consume all these kingdoms, that's exactly what it means. It means that if you're not one of the nations... And if your name is not in the book of life, then you are all burned up. Now, here's another little surprising thing. Again, I cover this in my book, too. The only ones that are going to experience eternal torment, that's where they burn and they burn and they burn for all eternity, that's only three groups of people, and that is Lucifer, the beast, and the false prophet. I'll represent those as three groups. And the other group are those people who take the mark of the beast. Revelation 14 says it this way, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receiveth his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, means that he's going to burn them to pieces, to ashes, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. So there you go. That's where it says, if you take the mark of the beast, you are tormented with Satan and the false prophet and the beast forever and ever and ever and ever, 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 ever. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, 
then who is it that is tossed into the lake of fire and they will be as though they had not been? You remember that there's, there's two, there's a judgment seat. Actually, there's three judgments. Again, I cover this in the book. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, that's a judgment. Again, I cover it in the book. I don't have time to cover it now. The second thing is the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is the judge. And then the third is the day of atonement. The day of atonement is a good way to explain what happens. On the day of atonement, it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Here it is, here it is. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's not eternal torments. That's the second death. That's what it just said. That's the second death, meaning soul death. So let that clear up that question for you. The only people, the I'll say it again, the only people that are tormented for all eternity is the beast, the false prophet, and Lucifer, and those people that take the mark of the beast. And if their names are not written in the book of the life, all of the other people that aren't given a glorified body are all tossed into the lake of fire, and that is soul death. That's the second death. Then the nations are told, we're going to let you live for up to a thousand years. But if you break one law, it's curtains. Morning star judge shows up right then. He hits you with a morning star, and it's, it's over. Fall to the ground, a pile of ashes and bones. So the point of today's broadcast is, yes, there's a world government coming, and in the days of the world government is when Jesus returns. Get my book. It'll inform you on all this stuff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your gifts of support. God bless. The Sevenfold Miracle Crusade is the start of the greatest miracle revival in American history. I'm sure of it. We're building an army of prophecy teachers and miracle workers to bring in the remaining names in the Book of Life. People who feel a desire to teach prophecy to a scared, uninformed public in panic having found themselves in the end times unprepared without understanding. People who desire to be used in sevenfold miracles greater than any in the past should be at this crusade. We will all break our three-day consecutive fast at our Passover meal April 19th and follow the footsteps of Moses through Passover, unleavened bread to the crossing from the sin of Egypt to the sevenfold promised land of first fruits. I will personally anoint and lay hands on all attending to receive the gift to teach prophecy and to walk in sevenfold miracles. This is not advertised to the public. This is for prophecy students who want to be empowered to serve in the last days. SevenfoldMiracleCrusades.com to register. SevenfoldMiracleCrusades.com. Sign up today. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation. It was just a project. I didn't think anything special was going to happen, but I began to receive revelations. I'm talking about additional information deeper than just the scriptures. 30 revelations and two visions giving me more depth. God showed me a single word, first fruits, is a secret door found in Revelation and Leviticus. When linked together, the end-time events can be placed in chronological order. For the first time, we can know what feast Jesus returns on, the feast for the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne, and the feast upon which the wheat is resurrected, and on the day the New Jerusalem comes down to earth. 
And even though I've been in Bible prophecy for 40 years, I freely admit to you that I knew nothing that is revealed in this book supernaturally. So I'm pretty confident to say you probably know nothing that is in this book. All new information. One prophetic word said, There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open unto you. It will turn many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are the secret doors of Bible prophecy. Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feast. What are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne explained. What is the cry? The parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials in order. Imagine a book on prophecy which brings fresh, new, accurate information. The text is in two columns, making it easy to read. The back flap is two full-color prophecy charts, 12 inches by 9 inches, helping you to better understand Bible prophecy. Don't get one for $20. Instead, get five for 30 or 10 for 55 at prophecyclub.com. It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy at prophecyclub.com. I don't want you to get one book for 20. Instead, get at least five for 30 or 10 for 55. That gives you extra books to give away. And that's what you'll do. If you just read the first 13 pages, I believe you'll be giving this book away to all of your friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your gifts of support. God bless.